Hello there and welcome to episode 66 of the Hawthorne Debate Club. My name is Jeremy Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So it's going to be another one of those episodes that feels a little bit like a speedrun. Just due to our schedules, we're a little bit hectic at the moment and we're trying our very, very best to be consistent to bring you your regularly scheduled programming. But at the same time, we are juggling all different kinds of things. So we're here tonight. We're going to try and get back to being as consistent as possible. But in order to do it tonight, we have got a little bit of a a quickness and a bit of a pace about the way we're going to deliver it. But the best place to always start is by saying a big thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate your patience, your love, your support, your encouragement. We really do enjoy doing the podcast. We really want to do it as well as we can. And it, it does rely on you guys listening to it and also sharing the podcast. So we're super grateful. If you could help us out by leaving a review on whichever platform you're listening to it, it does actually really help us out. It helps new people find the podcast. And so if you can do that, that would really be a massive help. Plenty to talk about today because it has been a little bit of a while, but we're going to try and focus in on a few key subjects today just so that we get this extra potent shot of West Brom goodness into your veins. I guess a a way of entering into proceedings today would be to at least describe the events that have taken place since our last meeting here at the Debate Club. Since our last recording, we lost on a Friday night, 2-1 away at Burnley. We were winning very briefly, nearly saw that one over the line, but they two late goals saw them take all three points. We then travelled down to Bristol City for our FA Cup fourth round match. Again, a bit of a drab performance and the result to accompany it. We lost 3-0 and in pretty kind of disappointing fashion, bowing out of the cup. Interestingly, though, I did see that Bristol City have gone on to draw Man City. Um, so it's, I don't think it's likely that we would have got much further, but it would have been interesting to test our metal against Harland and De Bruyne and co. So a little bit of a shame there. But then normal order was restored on Friday night. We played against Coventry. Another Friday night kickoff, another day where we don't get to see Albion play on a Saturday. But Coventry visited and we were the victors. It was a Dean Garner tapping at the back post after a long throw-in was flicked on. Or to be fair, I think Jed Wallace is practically scored from the header and Dean Garner like steals in on the line to actually take the goal, which I didn't mind at all. Anything to boost his confidence. It was a game where both sides looked really, really good. Actually, I was really quite impressed with Coventry. We were comfortable, though, throughout, I'd say. I think once we took our lead, we defended solidly. Really good individual performances from a few key players. Dara Shea has come out, was shining out of this match. But I guess the first thing's first, and maybe this will involve lots of other topics. What did you guys make of the game on Friday night against Coventry? As you mentioned, I think it was a... I suppose it wasn't the game for the neutral. There was some kind of boring parts in there, but I think it was because both teams were cancelling out in midfield. It seemed to be a very high percentage of play in around the centre centre circle. So, But I, I think, like you mentioned, there's some great players in there. I think Dean Garner's one of his best matches, to be honest. I think he had a lot more space against Coventry to show some of his magic. 
I think Malumbi again showing why he's probably the first player on the on the team sheet every week now. Really put a shift in, puts the miles in, doesn't he? The mileage. And then I think Albrighton showed his class, his premiership class. I think he showed how intelligent footballer he is. Not always going forward, putting crosses in to the box, even if there isn't anybody in there, because Coventry were kind of frightened of Jed Wallace's and Albrighton's crosses. And it did come out to the to our midfielders and we could mop up again and try again. So I think there were some great performances in there. I think there were some not-so-good performances for the last couple of games from Daryl DK. Corbran has come out and said that he isn't up to fitness. And I think I appreciate he isn't up to fitness, but he needs to start turning it on now, to be honest, because Sante, when he comes on, I know it's only for the last 15, 20 minutes of a game. He's tough strength and he's a winger, striker. He's everything. He showed that because Swift was playing in the middle when he came on, didn't he? They keep interchanging it. And I think it worked, but I think Daryl DK needs to start getting his shooting boots on and his pace boots because that pace seems to have gone. And it may be because he's been told not to run as hard because of his injuries but I think overall we deserve the win like you said Coventry played well but I think yeah we saw it out since we saw that scored that goal we did what we didn't do at Burnley and saw it out and we saw it out by attacking and passing the ball around in the right areas yeah, I thought it was a great result. I mean, I, I was going into February looking at the fixtures thinking, you know, we'll be lucky to, to get results this month. I think to get the three points against a, a good Coventry team, you know, credit to the players. And I think it goes to show, like Daro Shea, he's a quality player. And I think he, he really, you know, he was man of the match for me. And I thought he was an absolute unit at the back and, you know, getting stuck in. I have a friend who's a, a Coventry fan. And he said after the game that 1-1 over two games on aggregate is probably a fair result. And I I can see where he's coming from. You know, we we were quite fortunate not to concede. I think it was about 20 minutes into the first half. The player basically missed an open goal. They did have the chances, Coventry. That Hamer, he he does look a good player, the South American guy. My friend cheekily said that they'd have beat us on penalties. And I can't help but think that with Button in goal, Oh, I, I don't know, he might have been right there, but credit to Button. He made a, a brilliant catch at the end of the game to sort of secure the three points. You know, he made me very nervous, but I think that's built on his past games where he has looked a bit dodgy and he's got to build that trust back, I think, with the fans. There was a, a chap who sits two behind us and every time Button even like left his box, he was shouting at him to get back into his box and, you know, he wouldn't give the guy a break. But I do think Button needs to earn that trust by... Um, you know, acting confident and not making any silly decisions or radical decisions, I would say. But yeah, I thought it was a great result. Dar Roche, man of the match and a brilliant performance by everyone, really. Yeah, I think you both covered it really, really well there. And I just kind of echo your thoughts, really. I think that the David Button, obviously coming into the squad because Alex Palmer's been ruled out now for the next six weeks or so. At one point before the game, when everyone was speculating about who this mysterious injured player was and everyone was kind of throwing darts at the dartboard trying to hope one would hit and then it kind of seemed to rumble that it was Alex Palmer and that it was potentially season ending but now David Button came in I thought it was a bit of a heart stopping nervous moments those last five minutes which I have no idea where the referee got five minutes from and I genuinely have to say we don't normally talk that much about referees really one of the worst linesman performances I've ever seen with that linesman who was running the the east stand side but yeah like you say credit to Button he came out he claimed that cross and I think the reality of it is with a key 
keep a light button when there is that massive failing of confidence in him. And we as fans feel that. I think it's natural that the players will feel that. And yet they were still playing the ball around. There's plenty of times when the ball was played to his feet and he didn't just panically kick it away. He he took his time and he's playing the way that Corbin's clearly instructed him to play. So I think he can take a lot of heart from that performance. And I hope, like you're saying now, that he can build on that now. That it's not just a case that if we we've button in, we're suddenly a, a much inferior outfit that actually with him in, we can still play our game. We can still press teams and not have to worry about what's going in behind. I think, again, you've highlighted the same players, really, that I thought stood out to me. I thought Albrighton, one of the transfers that we saw brought in on transfer deadline day, really showed a lot of quality. Like you said, Joe, is ball into the box from different angles. I still think, like you said, DK needed to be in there. And there has been a lot of conversation on this podcast or the podcast on Twitter, how sluggish she does look. But hopefully that is just not the Daryl DK we're going to see going forward, but just because of where he's been and what he's had to overcome over this last 12 months or so. Yukushlu, I mean, every week, he just, just reminding us why we all said when we got him, why we were so excited, why we felt like he was a premiership player, like in the wrong division, like a big fish in a small pond in the championship everything he does is so classy there's a bit of a nervy moment when he took a knock but yeah generally speaking I thought Chalaba came on and looked good there's one little moment where it was like almost like one of those debuts to forget when Swift kind of slightly misplaced the pass and he, he ended up chasing and they're striker the one who missed the open goal just smashed it over the bar but Chalaba to my eye looks very much like Yukushlu he's very much the linchpin of that midfield he's going to look to receive the ball control it break up play from the opposition and then kind of be the point at which we start to assemble from in terms of our creativity and I think with Chalaba and Yukushlu I'm not sure they fit into the same team together but I think it's good to know that we don't have to rely on Yukushlu to be there 90 minutes every game that he can get a bit of a rest and a break so that during this busy schedule coming up that we know we're going to have fresh legs in that really critical role in the centre of midfield I genuinely think we were well worth 1-0 I know they had that those they had a couple of crazy good chances in the first half there was the one that you described out but there's one where that he almost went through the players legs at the back post from a set piece but I thought we were constant threat from set pieces their keeper looked proper nervy Daryl DK had one that went close there was we hit the post as well and I didn't even realize we hit the post when I was at the ground so I think overall I think we were we comfortably deserved it was good result and we were well in the playoffs but then we had good results for us over the weekend so we stay what we six now sat in the playoffs six there's a little bit of a gap starting to open up although there's a lot of people still within touching distance of the playoffs it's not quite as crowded as it used to be and I think all we can do now I think as most people are saying one and two have gone but there's still like plenty of work to do but I think we're really starting to kind of cement our place as a playoff side just as a point of curiosity on that note then from this point now as this vantage point of just being slightly over halfway through the season how do you two think this season ends I know there's a lot of factors and circumstances there's injuries there's the potential of even a manager change we'll talk about that in a little bit but where do you see this season ending for me, from our form since Corbrands came in, I, I can't see us 
finishing outside the playoffs, to be honest. I don't think we'll be third. I think Middlesbrough are in the same form as us and I think they have a bigger squad of players who probably are first 11 is definitely our best and we've got about four or five players who could probably come in there but they don't change it to make it better. I think Middlesbrough have got a big squad of decent players so I think, you know, we're going to be around the f- fifth, sixth position. I don't see us changing from that and I think people will fall off now. Once we played the Middlesbrough, I think we played the top teams. I think we've got Sheffield United left out above us. I just feel like people are scared of coming against us and we don't concede enough goals to lose too many games the remainder of the season. So I just see us possibly where we are now. I don't see us spawning out the playoffs. But do we go up for the playoffs? Uh, I think that's a tough one. I think it's the final, but as we know, we haven't had very good recent history at Wembley. The player final against Derby and the semi-final against Portsmouth in the FA Cup. If we don't get Millsborough, I could see us probably going up. But I think Millsborough are similar to us. I think they've got a good group of players who are better than most of the teams. I think Sheffield United have got a similar type of players than us. I just think they got the points on the board when Middlesbrough and us were failing to do that. So I think we would be battling for second, but we're both terrible at that point. So I think that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue really with what Joe's saying. I mean, I know it's the debate club, but I don't really have much to debate. I, I think we'll finish fifth or sixth and over two legs, I think we'll progress to the final and then the final's at anyone's bet, really. I mean, we've got Corbyn's previous experience with Huddersfield to, to use as a advantage. You know, hopefully he can use that and learn from learn his lessons. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident, but I suppose the there's still quite a lot of games to be played. I think quite a few difficult games in February so I reckon by the end of Feb, I think we'll have a good idea of where we'll finish. Yeah, I see it's very much the same way as you too, that it maps out very kind of well for Albion to keep up with a degree of form that will see us land in the playoffs. I just don't know whether we've got enough to get over the line. I think the playoffs are, well, everyone says they are a lottery, aren't they? They're one of the truest, like, 25% chances. Even finishing third doesn't necessarily guarantee... Oh, wow. Joe's just broke some breaking news mid-sentence there. We're going to come on. Might as well just come on to it there because me saying that we're not going to go up doesn't really matter too much. But yet, a bit of panic was poured and sprinkled over us this week when Jesse Marsh was sacked by Leeds United and a lot of journalists began quickly linking Leeds to Carlos Corbran. Obviously, there's a bit of a connection there with Marcelo Bielsa and the coaching role that he had there previously. Of Leeds fans liked him and naturally, obviously, with Albion being successful, it puts your name on the radar. It's like sticking your head above the parapet. Like, you suddenly find yourself the target of the these bigger clubs who are looking to come and snoop and the same way we do it to clubs below us we look at who's working and who's winning and you think we want a bit of that but we've just seen a tweet that's just come out literally a few minutes ago that Carlos Corbran has signed a new contract with the Albion to 2027 yeah, it's, it's on the club website now. So it says, Albion are delighted to confirm head coach Carlos Corbran has signed a contract extension, which will see him remain at the Hawthorns until the summer of 2027, which is a huge contract really, isn't it? It's a nice summer as well in 2027. Warm. Oh, it's just beautiful, yeah. Just when we've won the uh, Premier League. Yeah, that's the, that's when we qualify for the Champions League, actually. So. <laughs> Wasn't there a yeah. song, The Summer of 67, as well? Yeah, it Brian was. Adams. Yeah, was Brian, Brian Adams. Adams. He re-releases the song, Summer of 69, in 2027. Yeah. Uh, and it's about robots enjoying love. Well... That's shortened our podcast by a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, so. we do. We do. We kind of geared up to have a big rant about Carlos Corbran and 
whether it was merited or not. I think the reason that I guess is interested about this whole thing is that Ron Gawley had come out hadn't he, in the start of this year when he was talking to him, and he started speaking about his relationship with Corbyn and how he'd put it down as this marker of success in his tenure as like the kind of chief executive of the club. And he spoke about Corbyn as being like a man of integrity and it really really spoke about the man, the gentleman that he is. And I think that's come across in a lot of interviews that you see with Corbyn. He definitely doesn't seem like the man who wanted to use Albion as a kind of stepping stone to something bigger. He seems to be really invested in the project. He really seems to get why this matters, why it's important and and what the history of the club and bringing Bomber Brown down to the training ground. There's been all of these little indicators that there is something of a connection between him and the club and I, I felt as though if he were to leave because he has attracted a lot of attention it would have been like unfinished business at the Albion a little bit I understand why other clubs would look at Corbin, but at the same time I can understand why he probably wasn't actually ever going to leave at the same time I think if Le- for Leeds to have come in and got Corbin would have been a massive gamble by Leeds. Admittedly, Corbin's done a great job at Albion and when he took over, we were 23rd and we're in the playoffs now and he's done a brilliant job. We haven't conceded in 11 hours at the Hawthorns. We've won the last six in the bounce. That's the best record since 1977. Like All of these wonderful things that just seem to be accumulating week on week as he takes over and Karen leads us into the future. But in realistically, he took over a team that most people predicted would be where they are right now. And all he's got us doing is playing to where we should have been already. And I think to go into Leeds, a team that are clearly struggling, who are joint relegation zone, without the squad that should be sat comfortably in the top, I think he would have been absolutely crazy to think that he could turn that around. Because I just think the circumstances at Leeds for their relegation battle are so wildly different to us that you couldn't just walk in and expect, I'm going to be a little bit more detail-orientated and that's going to say today, Jesse Marsh is not Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is like the absence of a manager. Jesse Marsh is incredibly detailed, focused, and I just think he'd walk in there and you've got players that are fatigued. I can't see the turnaround myself, so I think Leeds wouldn't have actually ever really come in for him. But I'm glad that West Brom have honoured him and given him what he deserves, and that's the contract extension. I kind of agree with you. I think it would have been a silly... Uh, I think it would have been a mistake by Corbyn. I do. I think, like you said, going to Leeds, where you're fighting for rele- uh, fighting against relegation with a fan base like Leeds, where they expect a lot more than they've had in the recent years. And they spent £143 million under Jesse Marsh. So, Is that off the top of your head? No, I saw it today. Okay. <laughs> I saw a fact on it today that uh, he spent 143 million over summer and January transfer. Where some of those players, yeah, they're going to be quality players like they got the McKenney from Juventus. They bought well, but Carlos Corbran stuck with those. And you don't know, owners might want players paid. You know, it gets all a bit complicated when you spend so much money. And with the Albion, you can see that there's he's made a culture. You know, you do you see that video when um, they were entering the changing room with what's his Hefel Hefeli? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where they're all like hugging and you know he's clapping them in, very corny, but you know it works. If that what makes them happy. But I also had that scared. I was scared because Carlos Corbrands. He met his wife in Leeds. His child was born in Leeds. You know, he had that. 
affiliation. So it was scary because he could have moved and it could have been a great move for him. He could have kept them up. You know, he could have gone on to better. He would have been paid a lot more than he is on his extension for the Albion. I was just scared because before you think, oh, anybody can get these players up, but we know they can't. Like Steve Bruce was doing a shocking thing. So it's not always the players you've got. It is the manager. And Carlos Corbran has shown that he's these are his set of players now. Even though he hasn't purchased all of them, I think they're his set of players. You you know who's playing the majority of the games. You know, you know who's not getting a, a look in like he's not isolating players, but you know, the people who've dropped down the pecking order, like your grants and those type of people. But as we know now, he's signed his contract, you know, he's made his bet. <laughs> So hopefully let's get uh, promoted in the next couple of years. Hopefully this year, but got to give him a chance. He's only he hasn't even had a full season yet. So yeah, you know I'm so I'm so happy that he's decided to commit his like his future with the next the best part of four years with the Albion. I think it's it's absolutely it's it's amazing and you know it's it's made my day and I'm so glad that he's decided to to do that and. Another bonus to, to him signing is that he must have enough confidence in Gourlay and his vision and the board's vision for the, the future of the club to, to, to want to commit his future until 2027. So I think that's something that's uh, that might go unnoticed, but I don't think it should. You know, I think this is a bold move by Gourlay, but it's also a show of strength. You know, they believe in the, that things are moving in the right direction and that they can produce results on the pitch and sort of move up the table and win promotion and, you know, maybe even challenge for top 10 and, you know, Europa League places uh, one day, who knows, you know, within that four-year period. I think it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think when the news broke, perhaps we're all just kind of absorbing it a little bit, but now just it's been a few minutes. It is amazing, really, to consider that it's gone the full pendulum swing. Before this podcast, we were worried that we might be back in the marketplace looking for a new manager to kind of continue and maintain what he's already been able to achieve. And I think, like you said, Joe, this idea of the culture is built into the club, which is so difficult it's one of those intangible things that's so difficult to replicate and obviously everyone's aware and it's something that's always in the media about this eye for detail that Corbyn has and knowing that that's how Albion are going to look now for the next four years is so amazing what must that say to the players that we've brought in that there really is a full belief in what we've been about these last few months and there is a real sense of buy-in all over and I think the idea of Albion shifting to a long-term model is something that has been desperately needed for a decade or more now I think we've always had the firefighter mentality whereby if we don't achieve the the goal of the next three months then it's a time to look for a new manager and admittedly I was one of the people pushing for Valerian Ishmael to be fired and then at the end of the season for Steve Bruce to get replaced so I understand there's a certain irony with me saying this so but I'm so pleased that there is a a strategy now at the Albion or a, a commitment to a project that extends beyond this season and I'm glad that it's not dependent on whether we go up or down. And the reality of it is, is now Carlos Corbran will stay and oversee, hopefully, much of the the future of, well, the near-time future of the Albion. And we got that news straight from Carlos Corbran, didn't we? He did text me, give me, drop me a quick WhatsApp. Hola, Jamie, me amigo, he said, to start off with. It's just a bit, it's a bit. And then something about Paella, and then told me about 2027. Oh, there you go. I'm not well, going normally, anywhere. Normally, we would do the podcast, talk about him 
probably leaving, and then tomorrow morning the contract would be announced. So yeah, at least we're at least we're on the news this time. Some of the Bang on it. Some of the infamous podcasts from our early days where we do a whole episode talking about David Wagner, only for it to be about completely irrelevant two hours can I, later. Can so, I just correct you there, Jamie? It's uh, Air, Air, Air Wagner. Air Wagner. Guten Tag, Air Wagner. Well, we'll see him this season for Norwich. Well, yeah. Buenos dias. Is that that's Spanish, isn't it? Si. See, see, very good. Well, that's great news about Corbyn. Like, we can move on then, really, and talk about other bits of news. We've already kind of hinted at this, obviously, but the transfer deadline day has come and gone. That's another event that transpired since we last recorded. It's partly one of the reasons why we didn't record is that the night we had free was transfer deadline day. And again, in the the constant desire to stay relevant. We didn't want to record a podcast that would kind of be out of date as soon as we released it. But the two players that came in, Albrighton, Chalabar, we got a quick peek at both of them. Nearly had Amari Hutchinson in on loan from Chelsea, but that one all fell through. And it's not really surprising considering what Chelsea were up to on transfer deadline day. Um, and as a couple of players went out, Zahore's contract was terminated, which was a mutual I think thing, uh, which probably freed up the funds in order to go and get these couple of other players. Uh, and Martin Kelly went out to Wigan. You, there's a bit of a sad story there, though. Some one of you was I didn't know this. Yeah, I saw a photo of Kelly with a strap on his knee, so it looks as though he's damaged his knee. I'm not sure if he's going to be out for the rest of the season, but it looked pretty serious to me, which is really unfortunate for the mm-hmm. the chap. You know, he's he got man of the match during his performance, and you know he's he's had. His career has been blighted with injury, so hopefully he can recover quickly and you know get back on the uh, the horse. But you know we'll see. Fingers he, crossed for him. Zahore leaving. Any thoughts on that? Does it go one down got, as one of the worst signings ever? I think it's one that got away, isn't it? Type of thing, you know. It was, it was, <laughs> he had the potential. No, it, I think it was that was late doing that. That should have been in the summer. He was never going to get a chance. He was never up to speed. Yeah, I think he. Played a couple of games in the under twenty ones, and I don't think he even got in there. And I think he's had his injuries, and yeah, it's probably in our lifetime of a big signing. I know you have some of the you know lower hundred thousands, and they don't really make a mark in the team. You know, like El Ganassi and those type of players uh, from the past. But yeah, for that amount of money, he's got to be the worst signing of our lifetime. Uh, uh, it could be one of the worst signings Alvin have made. It's got to be up there. Mm-hmm. No, the only one of a one that sticks out is Ollie probably Ali Burke and a day. Uh, what was his name? A day Brown a day. Brown a day. He, he was awful as well. He, he very similar to Zahor. Like had something about him, but just didn't ever really look like he tried. You know that type of thing. But yeah, he's got to be him and Ali Burke. I think you're right. Probably mm-hmm. one of the worst. You know what's interesting that's just struck me? He's, uh, he's moved to a club called OB uh, in Denmark. They're the initials of Oliver Burke. Is that oh, a conspiracy? Wow. That, um, that definitively is a conspiracy. I don't know how it works, but there's something there. There's something mystical going on there. Yeah, but OB, I was quite intrigued. Well, I wondered what it stood for. And it's Odense Old Club, which I think is quite a cool name. But there you go. And Ollie That's Burke's middle name is Bold Club. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if you knew that. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> 
Right. So yeah, I think they I think all in all, if we were grading our transfer deadline, I think it could have been improved. But I'm gonna say a B plus, I think for me. I think the Hutchinson loan deal would have been really exciting. I can't lie and say that I've seen too much of him, but I think him coming in and then Carl and Grant going Swansea, obviously that all fell through when Hutchinson didn't come in, but I feel like that would have been a net gain again. Really surprised me that Albrighton's our first loan player this season. Yeah, I know. I think what you were saying about Hutchinson and Grant going out, I think I think that would have been better because I think, like we've mentioned, the culture Corbran is trying to instill, there must be something that doesn't link with Grant and he doesn't see him benefiting the squad. In Even if it's just playing or his attitude or whatever it is, I think he wants to get those players out and bring in, you know, fresh players, a bit of youth. And I do think we need a bit of youth in the, the winger position because Dean Garnier, I suppose he's our most useful winger, but I just think we needed that impact player. And he could have been, you know, he could have been a Harvey Barnes, you don't know. He could have been a flop. But it would have been nice to have something with a bit of excitement because we know what O'Brien's like. You know, like I've said, he's a mature premiership. He's won the Premier League. You know, he's a mature player. He's going to play sensible but good. And Chalaber again won the Premier League as well under Chelsea. These players know what their what their role is, and I think just a bit of excitement with someone unpredictable would have been nice. But yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I think a B plus could have been improved, but yeah, I think yeah, I think it's all right. I believe in Carlos Corbran. You know, we haven't got all the money in the world, and I think we've made some astute signings there. I've got nothing to add, really. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a good bit of business in the the grand scheme of things, bringing two, you know, exciting players in, and then getting rid of some players that haven't been too great, really. So yeah, overall good. Overall, good indeed. No, that's great stuff. Last little bit of transfer news. Ted Kahn has gone out on loan to join Leamington. So that's obviously just our goalkeeper. Good luck, Ted. Hopefully a little bit of um, first-team experience there. Apparently a really good talent as well, so that's good. And in other National League news, Mo Farley scored 7-9. in Long-time listeners of the podcast will know that Mo Farley is my favourite of all of those striker potentials that we see in the under 23s I think he's the one that's impressed me the most whenever I've seen him he just looks like just really exciting player so I'm glad to see he's scoring goals and on the 19th of January last bit of news today uh, the Hawthorns was actually granted asset of community value status I'm not sure what that'll actually mean in terms of these loans which have been leveraged against the club I think it makes it harder, let's just say, to demolish or, you know, get rid of it or anything. I think it just makes another hurdle for anybody who wants to do that. I read I read a bit earlier and I think it's something to do with if, if the club goes on the market to be sold, I think the community has first dibs, basically, to, to buy uh, the stadium. They have a six-month period or something like that to raise the funds to buy the stadium. How much would that be? <laughs> what are we doing to do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know the Greg's outside the collection the um, yeah man we'll have a whip around at the Hawthorns <laughs> what was they called it the Baggies Bonanza remember that the little raffle in the stadium yeah did that a couple of times there you go very good right well we've got a game on Friday evening another Friday game um, Birmingham away at St Andrews on TV You've said it, I think, I don't know whether we said it when we were recording or not, Joe, but the mood around the club facing Blues now that Corbyn's signed, I, I think that is um, 
that's going to light a bit of a fire under us. I think it'll be an exciting time to be around the training ground at the moment. Obviously, we're winning. Obviously, everyone's playing well. You've got the introduction of Premier League experience in all Brighton and Chalabur. And I just think there's just a general, like you said, there's this definite this culture of like togetherness that's emerging. And I think going to Blues, who have had their struggles of recent, I think John Eustace is struggling with some of the, the transfer window and various other things. It hasn't all been going to plan at Blues recently, although they started fairly strongly. And I think going there, I think really I can't see anything other than an Albion win. I think Thomas Asante is probably likely to jump in ahead of DK this week. And I, I can understand why that might be the case. I think DK is likely to come on towards the end of the game, but I think I'd be shocked if Thomas Asante doesn't start this one. I will go with 2-1 Albion. 2-1 Albion. I think, yeah, I do think it's going to be a tough game. Um, the last few seasons, we've had tough games against Birmingham. But I think you're right. I think Thomas Asante will come in for this one because he showed that spark when he came on against Cardiff. And he can change position. So, you know, he can go out to the wing. So I think that's quite versatile. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring one. And I think it probably is going to be 1-0 again. And I'm liking these type of results at the moment. I know we went and scored loads of goals not too long ago, but it shows that we can close out games and away from home. So I think, yeah, Thomas Asante 1-0 for this one. I can see us scoring quite a few against Birmingham. I think they've got a good midfield, so I think they've got a chance at scoring against us. So I'm going to say 3-1 to the Albion. I think it'll be quite a comprehensive win. But yeah, I think it'll be a good game to watch. Looking forward to it. Very, very good. Well, I think in a way of seeing us out of this podcast now and we'll have some like mariachi celebration music if I can find some that will fit underneath the end of the podcast. I want to read out some of the statement that's been released by WBA. Um, I don't usually call them WBA, West Brom. Uh, Ron Gourlay has announced on the news of Carlos Corbran committing his future to the club. I'm delighted Carlos has extended his contract at the football club. I have always been impressed by Carlos and my admiration of him as a coach has only grown since he arrived here. His passion for the game, we all love. He's been infectious. Not he's been infectious. That would be kind of like um, like a breach of confidence, I guess, about his medical history there. We all love has been infectious for all connected with the club, not least our players who have clearly benefited from Carlos's first-class coaching, tactical knowledge and attention to detail. Oh, he's been listening to the punditry. We sat down three weeks ago to discuss the future of the club and Carlos's vision for Albion is absolutely aligned with my own. Together, we are determined to continue taking the club forwards. I'm so good at reading. Corbin added... I have enjoyed my time at Albion and I am pleased to have secured the contract extension. I would like to thank my staff, the players and our fantastic supporters for the help in making my time here so positive. I would like to thank Ron Gourley for continuing to show faith in me as a coach. I believe that success can only be achieved when everyone works together and the way I've been made to feel welcome at this great club has made me feel com- made me confident that this is the right place for me. It is important to me that we do not let this moment distract us from our target which is to ensure we improve every day, making the team more and more competitive for the challenges ahead my focus is always on earning a positive result in our next game and we are working hard to achieve that at Birmingham on Friday night come on you baggies Carlos out well there you go and on that lovely note let me just say a huge thank you to you Alex Collins cheers huge thank you to you Joseph Clay cheers Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hawthorns Debate Club and we'll see you next week. Sweet.